Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. This series, uh, we, we have this acronym that we're going to use. And already, actually, you might not have noticed that next, last week we already started uh, for this, uh, the word doctrine. So uh, number one, D stands for the deity of Christ. Two, original sin. The O stands for O is original sin. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. C, the canon of scripture. T, the trinity. R, resurrection. I, incarnation. N, new creation. And E, eternal reward. So last week we talked uh, quite a bit about the deity of Jesus Christ. We also talked somewhat about the incarnation. And we even talked about the triunity of God. So we covered uh, several letters uh, in last week's uh, study. But today we're going to really, really focus uh, on the O. And uh, we're going to begin by reading the Psalms. We're going to go to Psalms 51. So if you would open your Bibles to that place, uh, we're going to dig in and... Uh, I'm not going to be able to get through the whole psalm today, but uh, let me ask this question. Has anyone in here ever messed up? Okay, I put both hands and my foot out, okay? (laughs) So this morning's message is for you and me. The wonderful people may not get it, but you and I, we will understand today's message. Verse 1, David is speaking by the Holy Spirit. He said, have mercy upon me. David was in his 40s around this time, and this can be a challenging time in a man's identity. And it seemed to be the same case, this midlife type of thing, crisis, if you will, uh, in the life of David. He had uh, risen from a shepherd king to become king of all of Israel. This was a remarkable, remarkable thing that he accomplished. But then suddenly the unthinkable happened. And the backdrop to this event was despite the fact that if, you know, we're reading through the Bible, so we're noticing things perhaps we've not noticed before. But despite the fact that he had a, a growing harem at this point, he had several wives, he had concubines, beautiful women. In spite of that, he committed adultery at Bathsheba. And then he went on to, to murder her husband, Uriah. Now, I think it's, it's one thing to steal because you're hungry. How many can kind of sympathize with a person that steals when they're hungry? Yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll see. yeah you're quiet like the first service. It's going to be like that. Okay. <laughs> but to already have several wives and still have to have another is downright greedy. And that's what I've learned about, about men in particular, and sometimes it's true with women. But, you know, men that, w- women that, that have been hurt and their, their husbands, you know, betrayed the vows and like, well, what, what, what was wrong with me? You know, what, what was I not giving you? But, you know, sometimes the issue's not you. It's just the fact we're greedy. So you're giving us whatever you're giving, but still we want more. We want more. We want more. And this is what happened in the life of David. And because of this event, he's on his knees. Nathan had confronted him. And actually, he's, he's uh, committed some of the highest level of hypocrisy because here we have a man that was a prophet, which today would be like being a pastor. Uh, and he was a king. And he did these things 
but he continued in his public role as prophet or pastor, king and the rest. And he, he didn't have any uh, shift until Nathan showed up the prophet in his life and pointed the finger at him. So, so David, he's, he's in a, he's in a, a really, really difficult, real, real, real tough time in his life. And finally, he says, have mercy on me, O God. Now, has anyone in this room ever had an O God moment? What was I thinking? You know, what was going on in my head? Well, well that's exactly what happened with David. You, you might not think so, uh, but if you don't think so, it's probably because you're not thinking. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your neighbor, though, okay? <laughs> Sin is highly irrational. Highly irrational. I want, I want you to think about it. Did it really make sense? For Satan to think that he could rebel against the almighty God. Did that really make sense for a created being to think he could war with the creator? I mean, did Adam and Eve really, really think that, you know what? I'm going to gain more by disobeying a God that loves me. But somehow, in our thinking, we, we, how many of you have... Worried all night, but still nothing changed. (laughs) But then you still did it the next night. We're all just a little bit local, just a little bit crazy. But, But here's the gospel message to each of us. Just because we're born crazy, we don't have to stay crazy all our lives. God can fix it. So, so David went through some temporary insanity. And we'll all every now and then just, get, just do dumb stuff. We're like, what was I again thinking? And then he comes back to his senses. And he goes to the only one who, who cares. He didn't run from him. He, he went to him. He said, have mercy on me, oh God. I told my boys uh, growing up, I said, guys, don't ever let me hear it from a teacher or for a friend, and certainly not the popo. <laughs> guys, every dumb thing you think of doing, believe me, I probably already thought of it or might have even done it myself. So come to me for help. So David messed up in a big way. But I want you to notice his, the way he entreats God. He's a man after God's own heart, and he understands the heart and the mind of God. And if you want to know how to put things back together after you sin, this is one of the key verses in the Bible to look. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to what? Your, not because I earn it. Not because I merit it, not because I deserve it, but why? Because of your, because of you. I don't get forgiven because I deserve forgiveness. I get forgiven because God is forgiving. It's because of him that I have hope or help in this life. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. You see, when your children mess up, it's not just about what they did. It's also about who you are. Nothing takes your measure as much as someone else's faults. 
And again, God's willingness to forgive us says more about him than us. So when you go before God, if you say my sin is too big, you just shrunk God way down. The reality is there's no sin too big for our God. He said, according to the multitude of your tender what? Mercies. I want you to notice something else. David did not try to minimize his sin, try to shrink his sin. What he did again was maximize God's mercy. No sin is greater than the Father's grace. Then he goes on and says, blot out my what? Transgressions. Now, we don't really use this language uh, anymore. But transgression literally means to uh, 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 cross a line or to trespass, if you will. But here's what's happening today in, in, our, in our culture as well as in the church. Instead of seeking mercy for us crossing the line, most are trying to erase the lines and they dare anyone to object. But here's the deal. You might try to intimidate me, but you will not intimidate God. We will all one day give an account to our maker. Number two, verse two. He said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice the words he used. Blot out, wash me, cleanse me. You see, as dirty as David's sins were, he knew God's power to cleanse was far greater. This is important. Verse three. For I'm not pretending, I'm not lying about it, I'm not hiding it, I'm not trying to diminish it, I'm not trying to lessen it, I'm not trying to rationalize it. Listen, for I acknowledge, this is where it begins, I acknowledge that I crossed the line. I acknowledge my transgressions. You cannot learn from your mistakes until you recognize them. And, and I, you know, I don't think I'm any different than anyone else in this room, but sometimes sorry can be the hardest word. You know, I, I've heard it said that one of the best ways to measure humility is how quick you can say you're sorry. So I don't care how humble a house you live in, how humble a car you drive. If you can't say you're sorry, you're not a humble person. And then in this next verse, I can kind of sympathize with David. I understand exactly where he was. He got stuck in his head. And he said this. He said, God, my sin is always before me. I I can't shake it. Like like, like a fish in a net. The harder I try to, to get free, try to get it out of my mind, the more powerful the guilt and the condemnation is that comes on me. And the only way, God, I can ever get out of this He said, look up. So I look to you. I want you to understand, David, when dealing with this sin, there was no explanation. It was like, he wasn't, you know, Bathsheba shouldn't have been bathing outside my window anyway. And by the way, she shouldn't have been. Now, people, though, David was out on his roof, but people lived on their roofs. When when it got hot in the house, they came out on the roof. And and I've used this this illustration before, but I lived around the corner from from Jesse Jackson when he was uh, uh, running for, for, for office. And uh, he, he had a home in, in Washington. Actually, he was trying to be a shadow senator. And um, everyone knew where Reverend Jackson's house was. 
I mean, when you walk past the house, you were looking to see if you could see him and spot him in the window or, or if you look through his fence. Everyone knew where David's house was. Everyone knew that when it got hot, David went on the roof. But Bathsheba, who could have did that bathing inside, decided that she was going to be bold and beautiful. And, you know, she, she started, you know, come on. I may have been born at night, but not last night. So he wasn't trying to excuse it, explain it. He admitted it. Then he said, Lord, I'm stuck. What I've done is so grievous, I, I, I just can't get it out of my mind. And then he goes on to say, said, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, he knew that he harmed Uriah. He harmed Bathsheba. He even wounded his own conscience. But above all, he recognized that he harmed his covenant. He broke it with God. This is important. Pay attention here. The act may be private. It may even be consensual. But the breaking of any law is foremost against the lawgiver. Stay with me on that. Even in our law system, have you noticed that when we go to court, it's the state against such, such, and so? The prosecutor represents the state. Why? Because the state made the laws. So when we break the law, we engage the state. So when we break the law, we think, well, it's just, you know, it's just us. By virtue of the fact that we broke a law, God who sees everything, we have just engaged the lawgiver. There is no private. There is no personal. There is, you know, it's not hurting nobody's sin. The reality is, Every misconduct is not just against your neighbor. It's first and foremost against God. Did I lose you? All right. And then he goes on. It does get a little deep. He said, listen, God, it's against you. And then instead of defending himself, he defends God's integrity. Basically, God, I, whatever you got coming at me, Lord, I deserve it. I'm not complaining about it. I'm not mad at you over it. But whatever it takes, please fix me. He said that you may be found just. The problem's not you, God. It's not your law. It's me. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Lord, when you deal with me, I won't even complain. Because, God, I, I, I have a problem. And in verse 5, he begins to explain his problem. And his problem is exactly like your and my problem. He said, behold, look at this, Lord. I was brought forth or born in iniquity. He was saying, God, you know better than anyone else. I was screwed up from day one. He was saying, God, just like I inherited the color of my eyes, the color of my skin, Maybe my, my height, my DNA. I inherited from my great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, 
this persistent bent to just do dumb stuff. And God, no matter what, I, I can't shake there's just something in me that bends towards dumb. Like I said, it's going to go over some people's head, but, but most of you <laughs> can understand. And he goes on. He said, and in my mother's womb, or in sin, I'm sorry, my mother conceived me. Now later, the, the rabbis would say, you know, hundreds of years later after David wrote this, that this was referring to the fact that David was born out of wedlock. I, I don't know if that was the case, but, but what I do know is that the context of this psalm is not David's mother. It's David's personal tendencies. And he's saying, God, I, I have a problem. In, in sin, my mother has conceived me. A literal rendering of this verse is, I was sinful from conception. Now, here's the deal. How many of you know a baby can't do good or bad inside a womb? There's nobody to hate, get mad at, curse. You, you, not even thinking a whole lot yet. At least not consciously. So if a baby could be sinful from conception, the Bible is teaching that sin is not just a result of things we do. It's somehow part of our inborn nature. And by the way, this is why Jesus said we must be born again. If it was right the first time, Jesus wouldn't have had to come to the earth to correct it. So he said, listen, right now, all of y'all are in Adam and in Eve. And, and, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But if you would switch and get into me, your results could be very, very different. But let, let's, keep, let, let's keep going. He said, in sin, my what? Mother conceived me. Now, a lot of people, when they hear this type of teaching, they think that I'm saying that all people are horrible. Not exactly. This does not mean that all people are as bad as they can be. Only a few of our deacons fall into that category. <laughs> but conscience, family, civil government, it all, they all help to restrain us. And you might say, well, that's not the case with me. You know, I, I'm, I'm just really, really wonderful. Well, well, be honest for a second. If there was no law against sneaking up on your boss in a dark parking lot and you knew you would not be arrested no one bring any charge how many of you might just think about it thank you thank you I got five honest people you see laws constrain us and keep us from doing what we might otherwise do. <laughs> Ephesians 2 and 1, and we're going to skip a little bit, and we're going to dig in. You're staying with me pretty good, though. Very good. Paul said it best here. He's describing our state before we came to the Lord. And you who were, past tense, meaning you're not this way anymore, dead, in trespasses and sins. He was saying all of us, no matter who you are, how much better than you are than the, uh, the person next to you, 
all of us were separated and alienated from God. We did not become sinners because we sinned. This is important. We sin because we are sinners. Okay. You're not sure? The first ever wasn't sure either. I want you to think about it. If we're all born good, like a lot of folk try to convey today, why is sin so pervasive in every culture, amongst every race, every creed, every nationality? I mean, if we're all born good, why, don't, why is it that we don't have to teach a child a lie? Why is it that we don't have to teach a child to be selfish? I mean, if we were all born good, wouldn't people every now and then, and maybe at least a few, beat the odds and somehow remain sinless? But every culture, every creed, every religion recognizes that all people miss the mark. Why? Because it's undeniable. And if we were all born good, somebody in some group of people somewhere would escape it. But nobody does. Skip to verse 3. Among whom also we also conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. This is where it gets exciting, where everyone shouts hallelujah. I'm just pulling your leg. Okay. <laughs> and what he's talking about is that period in our life where all the decisions we made were based on what we could touch, taste, smell, and here and we're kind of more like the animal kingdom and if the, the herd wasn't doing it we weren't doing it and you know that, that 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 whole thing fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind so we didn't just think it we did it okay how many of you okay mm-hmm. this is what i need you to know compared to others you may be pretty good the problem is that's not what you're being judged against Your neighbor is not your judge. Even the Supreme Court of the United States is not your judge. Because you're better than the next is a non-issue. Because you might be better than everybody else, but the standard is God himself. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.